that he could zap us at any point because we all know that he could. If he can create everything, he can take it out as well. But that's not what God intends for us. God intends us for us to love him as we would a father who has given us everything and has said, I have a will for your life. Now just follow that will and you will bring me glory and you will be in the position where you need to be as an individual. So there's this sense of what is fear, this fear of God and this fear of a sense that we should be aware of our surroundings. But that's not really what we're dealing with today. What we're talking about today is the plot of the enemy, Satan himself, that would lull us as the body of Christ into sleep and would tell us that we're not worth anything, we're not worthy of serving God, we can't serve God, people will use us if we serve him. If I reach out to my neighbors, they'll not want to be any part of that. They'll not want to have a relationship with me at all. If I mention my relationship with Christ at school, then I'm going to be ostracized and people aren't going to talk to me. They're, they're going to put me down. These are fears that the enemy has around us, and they bring us to a place of paralysis where we choose to do nothing. And beyond anything, the six months that God has called uh, our family here, and we are thrilled to be a part of EVC. But the word that, that I have sensed and asked Bart if I could share with us today is this sense that we are not to live in fear. We are not to listen to the voice that the enemy has for us. And if we're going to move from fear to a place of freedom, as we think about over this next month, as we uh, take this property that God has given us, as we seek as a church to move forward, fear would say, stay comfortable, stay where you're at, and don't do anything that's going to cause Satan's armies to, to start coming up against us. You get, See, folks, we are in a real battle. The sadness for Christianity in America today is that we do not realize that we're in a battle. We think that all this stuff about Satan really being alive and Satan really wanting to take our families to task, really wanting to split us and to, to divide us, really to want to cause disunity within the body of Christ, Satan wants all those things to be successful because that is how he wants to defeat us. And for so many of us, we so ignore the supernatural realm that we say it really doesn't exist, so we just go to sleep. This is a message about us waking up and about us understanding fear and moving to a place of freedom. If we're going to do this, there are three things I just want to share with you this morning. We're going to be kind of doing some spiritual calisthenics through God's Word today, so I want you to follow along with me as we go to these places. But the first is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, verse 18. We're going to look at several passages, but the first one is 1 John 4, 18. It says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The first thing this morning is this, freedom comes when we abandon our lives into perfect love. When we understand that God's desire for you and I is that we understand that He has perfect love for us, that He loves us so much that it empowers us to do whatever God has called us to do. This perfect love that we stand in is a love that enables us to be the people that God has destined us to be. If you go back a little bit into chapter 4, 
it talks about that Christ abides in us and we in Him. So we have this relationship with Christ where we are bound together with Him. And it is perfect love that we exist in. I had the great opportunity a couple of years ago to get to go to Hawaii. My mother-in-law and father-in-law took our whole family. It was the most incredible thing. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I discovered that in Hawaiian, do you guys know what Secret Falls means in Hawaiian? Secret Falls means paddle up river two and a half hours and then pack yourself in and walk another two and a half miles in to find Secret Falls. In Hawaiian, it means major tired. That's what Secret Falls means. And I got to go to this place called Secret Falls. I went with a friend of mine. His name was Rob. And we had this two-person kayak. Now, I'm not saying anything about Rob, but Rob is six foot eight and weighs over 300 pounds. And he is tough to paddle with all the way up a river, okay? I felt like I was pulling Rob all the way up those, that river as I was paddling. But we went to this place called the Secret Falls. And it was awesome because it had a lagoon about the size of this building. And I swam across that lagoon, and there was a 70 to 80-foot falls. And it was about the width of this speaker up here that was coming down. And I got behind those falls, and I put my hand out in it, and I felt the weight of all that water. And I said, my hand in it is not enough. I went out, and I stood in that, those falls. And as I put my hands out, it was all I could do to hold my hands out, and it's coming down on my head. At this point in time, I have this thought. What if someone upriver throws a coconut into the falls, okay? Okay, okay, I, I put that thought out of my, again, fear, put, put fear aside. But I'm feeling the weight of these falls just pour over me. And about a month after that, I had this vision of this whole thing taking place. Not a vision as in, but I just remembered back to that time. And I was singing this song about God's love. And God gave me that picture. Randy, you're standing in the falls, and my love is just pouring over you, and it goes into the lagoon, but it's not just, it doesn't just stay in the lagoon, it pours out into an ocean. And I began to think about God's love for me, how it just continually pours over me, and what God desires for you and I is to understand that we are loved so much, we cannot fail. The church, the body of Christ, cannot fail fail have you read revelation what it says is we win okay in the end we cannot fail but yet as churches we sit and we think about and we hear about the love of god and we have this love in us what can we do but to share it because it pours out on over us into the lagoon out into the ocean how can we hold people who have wronged us and we can continually hold on to those things and not forgive when God's love just continually pours over us. We have to first, if we're going to get to this place where fear doesn't hold us back, then we have to get to the place where we abandon ourselves into the perfect love of God. That's where we have to begin. God's love is perfect, and He desires for you and I to understand that perfection and to realize you've already won. You cannot lose in this battle. So don't be afraid to fight it. But we get conditioned, don't we? We get conditioned into the fact that, well, this is what it is. This is what the body of Christ is. We come and we sit and we, uh, have you ever heard the sit, soak, and sour principle? Okay, you have a sponge, you put it in water, you let it sit there and continually soak in water, and it never is wrung out. It begins to sour. But that's not what God has called us as a church, the body of Christ. We are not to sit, soak, and sour. We're not supposed to be conditioned 
to this place where we don't understand that we are to give out over the overflow of what God has given us, we become conditioned. How many of you have had your teeth cleaned in the last six months, okay? Okay, well, you should. Dental hygiene says that you should. Okay, every time I sit down in that chair to have my teeth cleaned, that lady always tells me, she is a lady, I mean, I swear, she's about this tall. I mean, she comes up to about here on me. But she is always getting on to me about how, my, how strong my gums and tongue are, okay? She said, you need to relax, okay? Your tongue and your gums, they're all getting in the way of what I'm trying to do. And I tell her every time, I say, look, God put my tongue and my gums in my mouth. They are there to protect my teeth. So you cannot, one time every six months, expect my tongue and my gums to forget about what they're supposed to do because they are trying to protect my teeth. But see, that's what Satan wants us to understand. We get conditioned to the place where we don't understand the power that we have as believers. God's love pours over us, and he, we must abandon ourselves to that perfect love. So to move from fear to freedom, we have to abandon ourselves to the perfect love of God. You know what the greatest command, what the one that is most used in all of Scripture is? 366 times the Bible says, fear not. It's the command that we are given most in God's Word. Why is that? God understands our enemy. We had better understand our enemy. If your first thought right now is, I don't have a clue what he's talking about as far as the enemy doing anything in my life. The enemy doesn't do anything with me. You know why? He doesn't pay attention to us. Because we don't mess in his kingdom that much. When we go against, when we stand up, when we head out, when we do something that's difficult, when we buy 12.2 acres to be in a spot where all of North Tarrant County, Northwest Tarrant County is growing so that we can be in a place where God can continually use us, when we step out in faith to do something like that, the enemy is going to respond. When your family is following Christ, when you're getting ready to go to church on Sunday, why do you think the enemy knows how to throw a bomb into your car on the way here, okay? But hurry up, get to church. We're going to go and worship God. I mean, come on. We got to do that. Why do you think that is? Because the enemy understands this, okay? Some of you said, you just, that's what my mother looks like when we're on the way to church, okay? That's what your mother thinks you look like on the way to church as well, okay? But we've got to understand that we have to abandon ourselves to the perfect love of God. What's the second thing? The second thing we must do is this. We must understand that freedom comes when we maintain a precise focus. Go to Matthew chapter 14. This is Bible drill time. Matthew chapter 14. I want to set this up as to what happens. This is Peter walking on water. Now, we know the story well, but sometimes we don't put it in the context that's there. The context is this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, okay? And just a clue in, in Scripture, because it was written at a time at which men were really seen only as the only spiritual leader of the home, many times when we see counts like this, the count really only reflects the men who would have been there. So we're really talking about 5,000 family units. So conservatively, we could say there were 15,000 people who were listening to Jesus at this particular time. And Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fish. Now we could try to explain away the supernatural, but I believe what God's Word says, that Jesus fed 
15,000 folks minimum with five loaves and two fish. Now, who would not like to be there to see that? Okay, so at first supper, Carla and Scott Kaiser can feed us with a whole lot of stuff. But Jesus fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So they've had this incredible, miraculous experience. They've seen Jesus work incredibly. And now Jesus does this, goes to verse 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And I think that's hilarious. Jesus gets the disciples in a boat and says, hurry off now, disciples, because I am worn out from you guys. You guys are wearing me out. The people are wearing me out, and I've got to go spend time with the Father. So Jesus gets them in the boat, sends them off across the Sea of Galilee, and then he says, and when he had dismissed the crowds, after he had, he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. A great reminder that Jesus himself, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, got alone with the Father. And if he did it, guess what? We should be doing it as well. Getting alone with the Father, spending time in his word, praying. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from the land and beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, do not be afraid, for it is I. When Jesus said that, Jesus was coming at them. A storm had blown up as they're going across the Sea of Galilee. The disciples, having just seen Jesus do a phenomenal miracle, are now, now scared to death and want to bail out of the boat. They don't know what to do, and they see Jesus coming across, to which this happens. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if you command me to come to you out on the water, uh, he said, Lord, it is, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. Wow, who would like to be there? But when he saw the wind, he was and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You see, what Peter had was a precise focus. I commend Peter. Peter, when all the other disciples were quivering in their boots, were scared to death, Peter took a step out, and he said, I'm going to get out of the boat. My question for us today is, do we have even the faith of Peter who says, I am going to get out of the boat? John Ortberg has written this book. If you're going to walk on water, you first must get out of the boat. So that's my question to you this morning. What's your boat? What's a place of security that you are so afraid of losing that you're unwilling to take a step into what God might have for you? You're so afraid of maybe losing that job. You're afraid of losing that friend you're afraid of losing that relationship that you're unwilling to take a step into what god has for you peter at least took a step out and was willing to take a step out of the boat leaving his comfort zone leaving the things that he knew so well and saying god what do you have in store for me i got to tell you the last six to eight months of my life that has been my story I left a comfortable place, but because God had called me to a place that I believed that He wanted me to be, Eagles View Church, God called us here out of a place of comfort for us 
because we wanted to take a step out. But here's what Paul, here's what Peter then did. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on the waves and on the wind. What are your waves and wind? The things that, unless you have that precise focus, unless you keep your focus on Christ, all the things of this world are going to drag you back in. The things of focus, the things that are your pet sins, the things that are the struggles that you face. You know what Satan is constantly going to try to do? I look at life as kind of like um, this warfare that we go into. It's kind of like landmine warfare for Satan. Satan does not, he is not enabled to, to know our future. I think only God knows our future. So what can Satan do? Remember, he's an angel. He was an, he was an archangel, Lucifer, in charge, interestingly enough, of worship in heaven. Okay, So he understands what worship is supposed to be. He is cast out of heaven. A, a third of the angels go with him. And now here's what I think Satan literally does. Satan knows our patterns. He's watched us grow. He knows what our patterns are. So I believe Satan goes out and places little landmines in our future. Okay, Not knowing our future, but he knows our patterns. And he is able to go out and put these landmines out there. And if we don't keep precise focus on Christ, what do we tell? What does anyone know about walking through landmines? It's you've got to keep a focus. You've got to know a grid. You've got to know where those things are. And then we're walking into our future, and we step on one of those landmines, and it explodes. He knows your weaknesses. He knows if your weakness is pornography. He knows if your weakness is busyness. He knows your weakness is schedules. He knows your weakness is relationships. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your buttons. You want to know how? He installed them, okay? He knows how to press every single button that you have. But we have to keep precise focus. If we're going to go from fear to freedom, we have to keep a precise focus. Hebrews 12 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. As it talks about, it says we must... Fix our eyes on Jesus. It first says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I love that thought. There are people, Christians, who've gone before us, who've died and gone before us. And they are there. The saints of old are there. And it's as if they're in, like the Ranger Stadium last night. And if you were to walk in, as those guys are announced, and they walk in and the people are cheering, that is a great cloud of witnesses that we have. But we have these spiritual eyes, these scales that are on our eyes that we just don't seem to be able to see that. I, I admit it. It's me. I don't see the fact that this cloud of witnesses surrounds me, and they're cheering me on. You want to know why they're cheering us on? They know we've already won the battle. Have you read the book of Revelation? We win, okay? We are the ones who win. It's already done. It's already set. We are going to win then why on earth do we get so out of focus on everything else that's in our world rather than on what God has intended for us to do? We are the church. We are the body of Christ, and God has called us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him left heaven for us. That perfect love is for you and I, and we have to keep a precise focus on Christ. So a perfect love, a precise focus. The final thing I want to share with you is freedom comes when we recognize and walk in our proper identity. Freedom comes when we recognize and walk in our proper identity. Go with me to Romans 
chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Romans chapter 8. And what Paul is describing is he is describing our relationship with Christ. I want you to understand, Romans chapter 7 is a place where Paul is going, the things that I want to do, I never find myself doing. I struggle. I, it's a constant struggle against my flesh. And if Paul said that, what does that say to us? We're going to struggle with those same very things. And we get to Romans 8, and he's talking about life in the Spirit. And Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what that means? There is no condemnation for you and I because we are in Christ. It's not because of something I do. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm morally right in and of myself. It's because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And I, there is no condemnation for me. I have won the battle. I need to understand my proper identity. Go to verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what? Fear. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What that literally means is we cry out, Daddy. Now, I've got to apologize to some of you. I know that some of you do not have relationships with your earthly parents, mothers and fathers, that represented a great representation of who Christ is to you and who God is to you. I'm sorry that, that, that you do not have that, that many of you have not experienced that. But what is our picture supposed to be? We're supposed to see Christ, who gave and gave up heaven for us and lived a sinless life and died upon a cross and he loves you so intently that he gives you access. That he doesn't just say, you can come and be in heaven one day. He says, heaven begins for you now. He says, you can cry out to our heavenly Father, Abba, Father. You can cry out at any time. And literally, the power of God will be available to you at any time. No matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've gone through, he is there. He is your Father. He is there, the one who wants to take care of you. You are a son and daughter. That's your identity. You need to understand your proper identity. It reminds me so much of what Bart shared a couple of weeks ago as he talked about the prodigal. The prodigal son who has all the rights and power he was born in. And sometimes we don't understand this. When this talks about adoption, adoption, adoption rights could never be revoked in a Greek society. Once you were adopted, you were actually legally now more a son than a physical birth-born son or daughter. That's what the language says. And so what God is saying to us, just like that prodigal who is feeding the pigs, even though he has the rights of a son, even though he could at any moment own the farm that the pigs are in that he's feeding, he's still slopping with the pigs because he's forgotten his identity. When you and I realize who we are and the power that we have with, within us, Satan literally is in trouble. The world system that fights against us is in trouble because it cannot win. Scripture's already made it clear. 
we win in the end. But we live as though we're paupers. We live as though we have no inheritance that's already in Christ. But as the church, the body of Christ, the message for us today is this. What power do you have in your identity with Christ? Rather than thinking about the fact that maybe I'm, I'm fearful that maybe I shouldn't lead because of this issue going into my life. Maybe I shouldn't lead because I've led before and I got used up and I felt abused that no one else would help. Well, here's the thing. As we move forward as a church, as our new logo kind of puts forth, EVC, moving forward, as we move forward as a church, God is calling each of us to be a part of this. Not to sit, not to be a part, not to be a bystander, not to be what, what will, will take place tonight in the World Series. 18 players on the field who desperately need rest and 58,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise, okay? Did you see the nachos? Did you see the hot dogs that people are carrying? As the commentators talked about it last night, they talked about the cardiologists around the Metroplex are going, oh, we have a job for centuries, okay? No. We need exercise. The church, the body of Christ, is us all pulling together and understanding what our role is. When we come together tonight at Trunk or Treat or having an opportunity to, to minister to, our, to the people around us, it should be the fact that we should have to turn people away because we don't have enough stuff to do. Not cur curtail the projects and things that we do because we don't have enough people to serve. You see, it's time for us to be lulled out of our slumber and to say, let's get up. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's take the hill. Let's charge. Let's be what God's called us to be because that's our identity. And what Satan wants to do is to rob us of our identity. He wants to whisper into your life and my life and say, you can't do that. You've tried before. It didn't work. You can't make it there. You can't purchase that property. You can't make that next step. You can't move in. You can't take this community. This is my community. That's what Satan wants to say. And we say, oh, no. We know the end of the book. We know who's going to win. And we know that is our identity. This community is our community. This is what God has given us to do. So we have to do it with all of us. The final picture of this that I want to give you today comes out of the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 28. 1 Chronicles 28. But I have to set up the story a little bit. You see, David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to build the place where all of God's people would come to worship. That seemed like the cool thing to do. That's what David wanted to do. And God said, no, you're a man of war. Your son will be the one. But you can get everything ready for him to build it. So David got everything ready for Solomon, his son, to build it. And Solomon comes, and David is a frail, old, old man. He can't even get out of bed. And that's where we come to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. David, you can just imagine a weak old man and he puts his hand behind him he lifts himself up to Solomon's ear, he grabs Solomon and he pulls him to him and then I think he literally yelled this into Solomon's ear because he wanted him to know Solomon, 
I didn't get the chance to do this. Solomon, this is my message to you, my parting message. I love the final messages of people who've gone before us as Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28. As Paul talks to different churches and he gives them a final message. This is David's final message to Solomon. He says, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. What God has to say to Eagles View Church, in the Hebrew, the word is kazak. It's a great word. Be strong and courageous. Because God has been my God. He's going to be your God. You are going to win. I know that. I've seen it in your future. Revelation tells me about it. Be strong and courageous. Know your proper identity. Quit allowing Satan to whisper in your ear who you are. Stand up to him. And in the name of Christ, in the blood of Christ, say to him, you do not know me. Because you fell does not mean that I will fall. Because I am in Christ. The word is kazak. Be strong and courageous. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray for those who need to hear and understand that we can be strong and courageous. For those who've struggled against sin in their own hearts and lives. For those whose whose lies have been told, Father, into their own li- into their own lives the lies that they can't do it, that they can't make it, that they don't have what it takes, that they can't be confident and stand up in their schools, that they can't speak to their neighbor, that they can't love in a passionate way. God, I pray for them right now. Lord, I pray for that individual who is here this morning who doesn't know you, Father, and they don't understand the perfect love that you have. But, Father, they want to know you this morning. And so I just want to pause right now, just in the middle of this prayer, and I want to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you this morning, if you, hearing this understand and understanding this this morning, you'd say, I want to have a relationship with Christ where I can experience God's perfect love. Would you raise your hand right now? Because I just want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, I just want to just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. I want you to experience that perfect love. You can do that this, today. As I've just paused in the middle of praying to the Father, what the Father has to say to you is, all you need to do is ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And when you do that, He promises to come into your life. For others of you, I want to pause and just say, how many of you, you know that there are fears that hold you back from being everything you can be? There are fears. Would you just raise your hands and put those down? Father, I lift you. I lift these up to you. You're precious people. My hand is up, God, as I think about the fact that, Lord, there are fears in my life that Satan uses every day to get me to misunderstand who I am. And, Lord, I pray for these, your precious people, Lord, that we would take this kingdom that you've given us, we would take it by storm because you are our identity. We want to keep our focus on you, Father. We want to feel your perfect love around us that we cannot fail when we are in the middle of what you've called us to do. I pray for the unity of this body. I pray for these who've lifted their hands and the different fears that they face. And I pray that you would meet them at every turn, whatever it is that they need from you. 
God, that you would make a difference and make an impact in their lives. Father, I pray that Eagles View Church would be a place where people feel welcomed, and Father, where people feel their gifts and abilities exercised into your kingdom. Lord, we cannot sit on the sidelines. We must get in the game that you've called us to be. So, Father, lead us into that in Jesus' name.